Hi folks, welcome to the next edition of Serverless Crack with myself, Dave Anderson, author and contributor at the Serverless Age and technical fellow with Bizarre Voice. Hi, I'm Mark McCann, architect at Globalization Partners and author and contributor at the Serverless Edge. Uh, Michael O'Reilly, architect with Globalization Partners and contributor with Serverless Edge. You almost forgot who you were there, Mike. I said, I had to think about that for a second. <laughs> he marks on his holidays as well there in the background. So. Absolutely. So we think we were chatting earlier in the week about two things I think are quite interesting, um, engineering excellence and well-architected. It's, it's two phrases we would kick about a lot and they're heavily featured in the book, um, The Value Flywheel Effect, which is coming out soon. Mm -hmm. um, so question for you, do you think engineering excellence and well-architected are well understood in the wider industry? It's a good question. Um, it depends. I think it depends. I, I know like the term engineering excellence is something we would use quite a lot and it, it kind of does encompass like a lot of sort of, you know, broader, broader topics. Um, certainly with well-architected, I think well-architected has become more, you know, it's, it's emerging more and, and people are becoming more aware of it. Certainly in the organizations we work with them because uh, we were obviously big, big, big fans of it. But I think with the, you know, the engineering excellence and the the notion of, you know, putting in these enabling constraints and just thinking about your engineering performance in general, I think a lot of companies do think about it. Maybe it, 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 it differs, um, but I'm not sure, like at an individual engineering level, how well it's understood or, you know, or, or mm. you know, yeah. what we think about it. Yeah, I think it's still something that needs to mature in the, in the industry. I think you know the accelerate book and the work that you know, Jess Humble and Co did with continuous delivery definitely has helped. And you know, Dave Farley and others has really you know, helped mature or help bring forward a culture of seeking engineering excellence. But I don't think it's embedded across all organisations yet. They'll see it in pockets. Um, you know, some some might have oh yeah we 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 have the four key metrics or we focus on you know, the product frequency. But that's not just that right. There's there's lots mm -hmm. more to it than than that. And I think it's I think it's improved. I think you know. Teams are starting to understand the value of you know, having a, a fast feedback loop and baking a lot of the engineering disciplines and the guardrails into their pipelines and getting faster feedback and quality issues. But again, I don't think it's done in a holistic manner. I don't think it's done in a, a joined up manner mm. yet. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, um, I think having two phrases, two terms for these things is very important and that there's a good definition for them. Um, maybe we could we could dig into the two of them. Uh, one by one. So maybe start with engineering excellence. Engineering excellence is a funny one. I think when I first heard that term, I think people in the States were using it. So I know Amazon used it, right? I think it's Amazon. Um, I don't know where it came up, probably just came up in kind of folklore. But um, um, two things interesting with this for me. One is um, very few companies will say they don't want good engineering, you know? I mean, no, I don't want good engineering. We were happy with bad engineering. So no one ever says that, but they don't define what good looks like. And then the second thing is a lot of the expectation on engineers is just to write loads of code. Yeah. And for me, engineering excellence is not writing loads of code. It's, it, you're getting into the code liability and thinking about, as you said, more things like feedback loops and how well the engineering, you know, function in your team is performing and how you're meeting your bigger goals. I think that's the thing that we found super interesting when we were doing a lot of this. We tied that to a business goal 
and that made it yeah. very different. That that made it real as opposed to, oh, my cycle, my complexity is really low, aren't I great? You know, we just lifted up a level. Yeah, and I guess it's also that they can start to articulate this when they're having prioritization conversations with their their customers or their business partners. It's not just feature, 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 feature. Do a do a delivery, delivery, delivery. They're able to have a a well articulated conversation about the value in investing in better testing or better mm. you know, um, pathway to production or or you know, reducing code liabilities you know, or you know, doing a well architected review or doing a, you know, a threat model. They, they're starting to have a, a language that they can explain the value of these things to people that aren't on the team. So some of the stakeholders then can start to see the benefit. If we do these things, we'll prevent problems down the line. You know, we will you know, help the flywheel turn faster in the shorter to medium term. Mm-hmm. And if we can invest in engineering excellence, so I think, and again, I think a lot of the work in like the books like Accelerate and you know, our own book, right, help make the case for investing in these things. Um, so hopefully it's easier now than it has been in the past to get the buy-in and the backing for mm-hmm. you know, that investment yeah. in engineering excellence, right? It's not just feature, feature, feature anymore. No, I think that's a, and then, like you know, just listening to you guys talk about that, it's like, you know, when you look at the the accelerate book, and obviously then the 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 Dora metrics, and I mean, you look at the Dora metrics, <clears throat> I think they're more for they they aid technical leadership in a lot of ways. You know, like so, you know, your teams are they'll want to be doing stuff fast, and they'll want to get stuff out, and they'll be keen to you know um, solve problems or address business need or customer need that sort of thing but you as technical leadership you've got to make sure is it done well you know um down the line how are we actually performing you know like okay so we're delivering fast but are we delivering with quality you know how many errors are coming back with each of these releases um you know, what was the team's approach to solutioning on that you know are we are we moving fast enough and i kind of feel like these sorts of things do they're they're good for technical leaders you know we i would use the i, I was I kind of love the saying slow is smooth and smooth is fast, you know, like, so how do we set ourselves up? You know, at the beginning of things, I like to kind of go a bit slower, you know, like looking at our process, how are we going to test this? This is uh, successful in production. You know, how do we limit the the errors? What do we know? What do we not know? Um, you know, what do we need to do up front? You know, and, and I think as a leadership, sometimes you've got to be prepared to go slow and put those things in, in place. Yeah. Yeah. Then enable, your teams to then operate more effectively, you know, yeah. line. Um, you know, we talk about that sort of problem prevention. And again, it's it's kind of baked into the the, the long-term value sort of section of the of the flywheel. You know, if you're not, I always kind of have the saying I myself it's like you're either going to pay for it up front and do all that stuff, that discovery and put that that rigor into your we always talk about pathways to production and, and put put that rigor into that. Uh, that or you're going to pay for it in the long term <laughs> you just yeah. decide what's what's right for yourself and obviously we prefer to do things in in the right way so i think i think with engineering excellence that's where you get a lot of the engineer maturity a lot of the experience comes into play you know you're you're having the control flow you're having to sort of question how people are approaching certain things so it's a really important topic i think for leadership in yeah. positions in the industry. And as well, I mean, really, it's the thing about enabling constraints because what you're really doing is you're making decisions for the organi- for the engineering teams. And, you know, you're being opinionated with certain things that they can do well. Um, I think um, I think two things that the, I think when we define engineering excellence, we used to down pink stuff, the mastery, autonomy, 
we, we, we translate those to technical excellence, autonomy, and I think it was customer focus, I think it was. Um, that was a nice way to phrase it and explain to people what it meant, uh, which, which, which kept people focused. And then the, the Dora metrics is brilliant. So here's your quiz question. Can you name the fifth Dora metric? The new one? The fifth one? Oh. Put it on the spot there, Dave. Well, we, we, I just we, looked it up. <laughs> name the four. Deployment frequency, lead time. The lead time to change, change failure rate, and mean time to recover. Yeah. The fifth one you just added last year is uh, reliability. No, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking resiliency, but it's reliability. It's the one that Google added or the Dora thing, but it's okay. still super, super uh, um, relevant. Yeah. Yeah. So the reliability is, um, so, and again, that, that ties us. They're so getting they, on the SRE. They're getting on the SRE. That's why they put that But at the same time, it, it kind of then opens up. This is kind of why we say, like we talk about, so the engineering excellence, which is really around your, your flow and mm. You know, um, you know, you, what we call your your feedback cycles. You know how you how you think you're performing, but then at the same time, then you kind of bleed into the well architected and hard as well architected yeah. facilitate yep. dimensions of that. You know, so I, I do think you you are starting to see these things overlap, and obviously we can get into completely. This. So we talked about engineering excellence there. So then, what about well architected? Because I think well architected is probably better defined than engineering excellence, but I find a lot of people don't. They, they haven't heard that term before well architected and they think you've just made it up but it's actually yeah. quite specific what it, what it is yeah i think i think well architected obviously it's hard to say in terms of just broader industry i think it's it's starting to become i'm starting to see lots more talks on the on the topic i'm starting to see it more in the in the community you know people people definitely starting to know what what you what we mean when we're when we're talking around it mm. Um, I think certainly within the organizations we're in, it's 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 fairly it's it's in there, you know. And, and I think this is where a lot of the discipline comes in. You know, you really got to assess like, well, you know, what's the best way to go about something? You know, have we considered these various dimensions? Have we, um, you know, what's our what are we good at? What can we improve upon? What do we what will we like to change? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that 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 those sorts of things help you keep. Really, it's a. I always kind of say it's a vehicle for continuous improvement. Like, you know, yep. so you just sort of evaluate where we're at and what we could do better. Um, so I think, and and people are acknowledging it as part of that. And I, and I think that's, that's, that's working quite well. And I think it is starting to, it's, it's, it's starting to take more of a grip. Yeah. Know? I think, I think it's also, and we haven't created this ourselves, right? It's, there's a huge body of evidence and supporting material and videos and tutorials and workshops and labs and, to support well architected people can google well architected and whether they're talking about aws azure google they're going to get a fairly consistent you know, response right they can they can self-serve they can self-learn they can they don't, they don't need to go to make a mark to learn about well architected right there's courses and you know, certifications and all that sort of stuff that backs it up so yep. it's, it's i think it's i think it's starting to permeate through Certainly, maybe we're in an echo chamber, maybe we have our own little bubble, but it's definitely resonating a lot more than it ever has. And I think teams are loving the fact that we are starting to focus on these things because they've always wanted to do them, and maybe they didn't have the the, the capacity or the space or the mm. you know, the the language to the, the, the fight for. Hey, we want to deliver a well-architected solution. Yeah. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Because it's actually defined by a a, a separate body. Um, 
Do you remember years ago when you talked to architects and people say, well, good architecture to me is non-functional requirements and it's yeah. the abilities. And you yes. say, what well, is it? Oh, it's you know, performability, you know, scalability, extendability. And it's just every stupid word was ability in the end. And everyone had a different list. And if you talk to somebody a month later, they'd have a different list again. So yeah. you never knew what someone was going to say. So it became a bit like folklore and black magic. The fact that it's now really well documented and understood, and you can you can round them off the scorps, it's it's um it just makes it that much bit easier. I think so. I I think so. And and then and once and and there's something that clicks with well architected. I think with teams, you know, when you when you run your first sort of well architected with squads, you know, it's it's kind of interesting the sorts of reactions you get. But there's always stuff that comes out that you find that you know we could maybe if we had time or we maybe we yeah we've been thinking about that or yeah we should definitely do this you know you you always come up with stuff but ultimately like as as a team that wants to move fast do you have time to stop or or pencil in a two-week architectural review or bounce something off to someone three weeks down the line you know for you to make your decision if you want to move fast you've got to be able to be empowered with what does good architecture look like you know, and if you've got these sets of this set, set, set of guidance, or you've got patterns that are implemented in a well-architected fashion, that really sets you up for again rapid delivery, mm. moving with moving with speed yeah. in an engineer in an excellent way. You know, um, yeah. again, it just removes again. It's 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 fast flow. It's it's yeah. it's it aimed at sort of facilitating you moving fast yeah. and you know getting things out quicker and being more competitive. Yeah, and I think there's something about both of these approaches is that. You're able to give stakeholders, all your stakeholders, confidence that not only are you going fast, but you're going fast in a, in a good way, right? And you have the data and the metrics and the evidence to back it up, right? So, you know, these teams that are yeah. rapidly delivering product value, you know, they're delivering multiple times a day, they'll have a, a, a trail of evidence that they're going the right way because they've followed these practices and they have the dashboards and they have the logs and they have the, the alarms and the alerts and the run books and the playbooks and they have the you know the key business KPIs all at their fingertips. So any stakeholder that wants to challenge them on what are you doing, how are you operating, what are you deploying, it's, 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 they almost have like information radiators that teams can, can look yep. at that gives really them the confidence that they know what's happening, right? Because that's really important because these things like, Back in the day, it was like, well, Mickey's a great engineer and he says it's good, so it's good, you know. But now there's like, I talk to loads of different C-suites and, and people on the board. And, and when you say, well, architect and engineer excellence, they go, yeah, that, yeah, I, I, we, we want that. But say, what is that? And you can rattle it off with a few points and then you can point to something that you can actually see, like yep. the dashboard. That's hugely powerful for uh, convincing people that this stuff's important. The other thing as well is like, I think there's there's also another dimension to this too. I think sometimes it's goes on said a, a lot of the time, but when we talk about it, it's like I've experienced squads that work with well architected and they're very they they're bought in and they, they they work through all these processes and work with squads that aren't. You know, when you compare the two, they're very different. Um, but I think at an organizational level, as you said, these are a set of commoditized standards. So if you're looking to have an organization where you know teams can move from one area to another and move from engagement to engagement and sort of expect a certain level of you know um proficiency or you know quality or engineering excellence or well architected, these sorts of things are there sort of you know um they facilitate that. You know, if you have yeah. arrived in, a, in a, an area that isn't well architected and then you've got three months of kind of understanding what went before or 
trying to understand a lot of the decision making or or you've got 12 months of technical debt that really should have been taken on boards before the you were even moved into there you know, that that's that's very difficult from a you know from a person perspective you've mm. these sorts of things definitely enable more fluidity and around you know i can move one team to a different workload and they'll be able to be very effective um very very quickly as opposed yeah. to them in the area that they then have to go on uh, you know um uh, absorb all this cognitive burden. The famous, the famous mobility, the famous mobility statement. And one of the things I mean, from a company perspective, I mean, there, there's a whole bunch of advantages of doing these. One is there's like a a problem prevention culture, which is an interesting concept. Yeah. Um, you, think, you think this? I wouldn't say it exists in many companies. Do you think this um, is well understood with a lot of companies that? Your a problem prevention culture is actually what you're after for, for your engineering area or your product area. I think Mark should take that one. He loves he's the yeah he's the problem. I don't, right? Yeah, I don't think it's don't think it's um in a lot of organizations don't think it's really cut through. Again, they're still on the feature factory sort of mindset. Deliver, 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 feature, 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 and then they had a, a tipping point and then everything grinds to a halt for months or maybe years or they never recover. But if you have a continuous improvement mindset, if you're investing in problem prevention, if you're investing in well-architected engineering excellence, continuous learning to enabling and empowering your teams, you're constantly getting ahead of those problems before they become problems. Yeah. Uh, and you're, you're investing in your performance, security, resilience, high availability every day, every week. And those things just, they compound on each other, right? And it's like compound interest. You're just, you know, you're getting better and better and better returns from it as you go. Right. And so I think that problem prevention culture is, is critical. But one of the big challenges with that is that silent excellence can go unrecognized or rewarded. So you need to be careful that, you know, you have enough people who understand what good looks like yeah. and reward it and recognize it appropriately so that you, you don't fall into the, the superhero, you know, coming into the, 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 the save the day mindset where, you know, actually if you had it invested in a problem prevention culture, there's no need for superheroes to come in and you know, yep. uh, save the day, right? I, I love the a... superhero. Was Mickey? Mickey stayed up all Friday night. He's a legend. <laughs> well, um, he should have put more prep on the design review on Monday, and he wouldn't have had to do that. Yep. Yeah. No, I think there was a there was a point there. I was I was kind of put away in on, but um, it yeah, it's it's exactly that. It's like so um, from a problem prevention perspective, do you want to spend all your time babysitting a kind of unwell architected kind of workload and you know dealing with all that goes on maybe you do but again we always talk about this concept of inertia and team stand still yeah. really where you want your teams is moving you know like so as you're adding all this value you're moving on to the next thing you're moving on to the next thing and if your stuff is built with you know lack of quality or it's always down or you're having to constantly upgrade this is where we talk about um you know this is why serverless is such a big concept you know yeah. um, well architected engineering excellence we can build these things and they're going to run and they actually increase in value and you know there's there's less work in them over the long term mm. while your teams are moving on to what you need to do as a business and as yeah. a it's very so important super uh i don't think i don't think a lot of orgs do think in in that way and i i think by the time we do think in that way they're already in a lot of problems yeah 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 and the good, we, the good companies will bake this in from the start yeah we've talked about this a lot about creating that space renovation if you have a problem prevention culture, you're removing a lot of the 
sort of the the busy work so that your teams are truly able to focus on things that are going to innovate and help your business succeed right because they're not doing you know disaster work. they're not they're not fixing disasters they're not doing you know um outages and constantly chasing their tail trying to keep things alive right yeah so, and that's quite hard to explain to senior people it's like if you want more innovation you need to do more boring architecture and they're like, yep. what no i don't need boring architecture to do innovation it's like no no one one feeds the other yeah. Um, do you want all your best people firefighting or do you want them helping you grow in the marketplace? Or have your best people do architecture so everybody can innovate. <laughs> Very good. So that's the crack. Um, that'll do us for all, I think. Um, so how about you look at the um, Twitter at the Serverless Edge and then uh, at the servlessedge.com or blog and stuff. And uh, we look on YouTube as well. Thanks very much. Cheers, Thanks, everyone. Bye, everyone.